Hey everybody, it's JR here with uh, Ayers Academy out of Sarasota and Bradenton, Florida area. Um, on uh, this, our initial podcast, my initial podcast, we're going to touch base on the five main principles uh, that I think should be part of any self-defense training that any male, female, adult, or child would undertake. So if you're going to take a self-defense class, you're looking at the outline, you're looking at the syllabus, and uh, you do not see any one of these five, or you do not see these five on the syllabus, if anything is left out, I would go the other way. Um, here real quick, here's what we're going to cover. One of the main principles is it has to be simple. Uh, cannot be complicated. Number two, uh, there has to be some sort of emphasis put on speed and execution of delivery of the blocks, the escapes, the counters, um, the defensive work done on the ground. So speed and explosiveness must be part of the, that principal set. Uh, next, uh, this training should be regular. I mean, you can't do it one time a week necessarily for six weeks and that be it. I don't think that's enough. Um, it must be a little bit more, maybe twice a week for maybe it's four weeks, but it needs to be a little bit more consistent and more regular to help with, uh, you know, able to retain the information, um, you know, in the memory of the participant. Next, it does have to be challenging. So there should be moments of challenge that are specifically put in place at various points of the training to challenge the participant one so they can realize how difficult this topic actually is. Um, you know, if you're a 110-pound female and you think you're easily going to get away from a 250-pound guy sitting on top of you, uh, you know, you're not recognizing the truth. Um, so, <clears throat> one, you want to enter put it in challenge in various points so that the participant can understand that. But number two, as the participant gains in skill at uh, meeting these challenges, they gain confidence. So the challenge serves two purposes. Um, and then last but not least, uh, it should be adaptable. Uh, whoever is doing the training, uh, the participant, uh, they should learn that, um, I mean, if I'm just doing jiu-jitsu all day long, um, my self-defense will be very limited. I can only do jiu-jitsu on one person at a time. So if I've got three guys coming at me, it's not very adaptable. <clears throat> if I'm just doing a kickboxing class, sport karate class, um, same thing. Uh, so it has to be versatile and adaptable. So let's go back and tackle these real quick here, um, these different topics. Simple. Uh, what do I mean by simple? Um, it must be taught in a very simple progression, which makes sense for the learning of the participant. There again, I'm not teaching the self-defense class for me out of my own ego. No, I'm teaching it to my audience. The audience may be teenagers. It may be adult females. It could be adult males. Whoever the participants are, the I guess the rolling out of information has to be able to be grasped by them mentally. Um, so, you know, simple things such as they'll want to learn what it's like to be in a passive position, just, you know, standing on both feet in a relaxed position and responding to acts of aggression. 
And then they want to learn what it's like to be in a on-guard posture, right leg in front, left leg in front, hands up on guard, what have you. Um, so there again, distinct, they're learning right away with those two concepts, on-guard versus being in a passive uh, position. Um, then maybe things are taught in a manner so that they're learning defensive moves versus offensive moves. Then later on, they learn how to put the pieces of puzzle together by learning how to escape. And then they learn how to block escape with offense. So now they're learning the concept of countering, but they didn't learn the countering before the others. So there again, we want to lay roll out the information so that it makes sense for the participant. Um, participants in the class may also learn by observing other participants. So there again, it depends on how the class is arranged and set out. That could make a huge difference. Um, and then moving from there, um, for instance, in my instruction that I offer, I never teach someone to be mobile when doing defense unless they've mastered certain skill sets in a stationary setting. Uh, I'm only asking them to get more confused. So once they've mastered things in a stationary setting, then we look at how they're moving. Are they moving forward into aggression? Are they sidestepping aggression? Are they taking one step back as they're transitioning? maybe into a block or in a protective stance, what have you. Uh, so there again, it's like putting the pieces of a puzzle on a table and then slowly putting them together. Um, one thing that I try to incorporate within the training I do for people um, is are the, I try to touch base on the four factors that influence learning. So I'm trying to incorporate these concepts in each lesson I offer. One is demonstration. Two is practice of the skill. Three is feedback. So I'm giving feedback to the participants regularly. And then the last is motivation. Motivation could be positive motivation. Uh, it could be motivation, letting them know where they're kind of falling short, uh, but how to make the change so that they're doing things correctly. But the four factors that influence learning, demonstration, practice, feedback, and motivation, I incorporate into each lesson I do, whether it's individual or group. When I demonstrate a skill, I try to do it with a clean body movement and nothing flashy. For instance, I see stuff on YouTube all the time where there's some expert blocking a knife thrust and he does 20 counterattacks I mean, it, it doesn't really work that way. I mean, it, sorry, it just doesn't. It's going to be over much quicker. One, you're either going to get cut or stabbed with the knife within seconds, or you're going to block and counter within seconds. Uh, it's not going to be something that's drug out, um, especially if the attacker with the weapon has one or two accomplices with him. This totally changes the dynamic. So I try to keep things very simple, very clean, and very easily for the participants to see when another skill is being demonstrated. Um, the words that are used that I use are very simple and direct. I do not want to overtalk. Um, the goal is for the verbiage to be able to click within the mind of the participant so that they can understand it as quickly as possible. I do not want to take forever to try to convey to them a simple concept or technique. Um, 
So for instance, I may demonstrate a skill, grab a focus pad or a tie pad or use a heavy bag or some sort of shield and right away we're going to work on that one skill. Later we may try to combine that skill with something they previously learned. Um, but there again, it's very simple. Um, as they practice the skill, I'm going to provide feedback verbally in a motivating tone, a corrective tone, uh, but never a demeaning tone. Once again, my ego is not what's important here. Them learning is what is important. Um, the feedback I'm offering is based on the, por- the performance of the participant in general. Um, do they need immediate correction or do I, am I kind of watching them that they're learning and making adjustments on their own and I, I see them working closer and closer to getting the skill done correctly? Uh, then I may intercede. But if, um, if they are making adjustments on their own, they're what we would call an advanced stage learner uh, versus a beginning stage learner or an intermediate stage learner. Um, so my feedback is never to be critical. Um, the feedback is meant to just offer small corrections inserted within a specific drill. And that's it. Nothing more, no less. Um, the overarching theme of this is I want them to learn quickly and be able to execute the skill uh, as close to perfection as possible while learning as quickly as possible. Because there again, they, maybe these people have a, a time frame they're trying to meet, yada, yada, yada. Um, so there again, everything has to be simple the way it's rolled out to the participant or the participants in the course. Um, and pushing forward, uh, you know, the heart of the matter is self-preservation for the participant. Um, I'm, I try to be motivated in my feedback on a more base level to help them a more caustic level, uh, a more raw level. Um, so I'm going to use analogies as to what could happen if they're here, what may happen if they're here. Or I may use a personal story uh, based upon my own experience, things that I encounter with the work that I do where aggression is part of my job uh, on a regular basis. Um, so at any rate, um, follow, uh, I would say follow just this basic principle. Um, if you're teaching, going to teach, uh, if it's a basic course, advanced course, or if you're going to be a participant. Uh, there again, it's got to be simple. Second um, is speed. Second, The second principle of self-defense is speed. This is crucial for all elements of training and execution of techniques and strategies. Um, explosiveness. Uh, at, the part, at the end of this course, ideally the participant... Uh, is learning how to react with speed uh, because they learn the material, it becomes second nature. Um, the things that may be counterintuitive have become natural for them. For instance, stepping into aggression. That's one of the things I try to get across in the very first lesson that you know, moving into aggression can be your safest move rather than backing away. Um, and I'll use examples and show them. Um, but 
recognizing and reacting and responding quickly. Um, explosiveness of that elbow strike, of that knee strike, or of the elbow and knee strike together um, without hesitation. There again, we're asking them to m uh, move with speed, but it's critical. They can't move with speed and execute the drills if they have not learned the drills correctly. Learning the drills correctly is based upon the simple teaching of these drills. It cannot be confusing. So their success is going to be like a domino effect. One thing's going to follow another. Or their failure is going to be based upon that domino effect because everything started off wrong. And I see so much of that on social media uh, and YouTube with self-defense classes where, um, you know, things look good, but in application, it's almost like there's, you know, a lot of people are setting their participants up for failure. Um, so learning how to execute speed and use speed, uh, I try to manage the use of this uh, during the learning phase. I'll ask a, a self-defense participant to do, to do new skill with speed is going to probably set them up for frustration because they're going to do it poorly. It's not going to be done correctly, and I'm going to have to give them more feedback. They're going to get upset. They're going to get anxious, and it's just a downward spiral. Um, so there again, we want to start off on the right foot. Um, now that we've established that speed um, is not necessarily in the early stages of, of learning, we want to kind of touch base on how to incorporate the use of speed in training. The time to incorporate speed into practicing a skill is when the skill has been done over and over. So once that person has done a, let's say, let's say there are have someone on top of them in full mount, they're going to roll the person over. But now we've asked them to not only roll the person off, but we want them to stay with the attacker. And they're going to roll over with the attacker. As they push the person off, they're going to stay in that person's guard, putting a forearm on the throat of the attacker, because now they're on top, and they're going to counter with strikes, elbows, and knees. They can't do this fast in the beginning. It's going to take practice over and over and over at these various mini skills, if you will, within that long drill, once they've mastered it, they do the whole thing. And then as time goes by, they do it faster and faster and faster um, with the focus being on how smooth are they doing it. And nature will take its course. Eventually, they'll be able to do it smooth and fast at the same time. Um, but it's going to take repetitions of over and over and over. Um, speed also relates to leverage. Uh, with how a participant is moving, defending, or striking, or trying to get out of a, a hold or something on the mat. Um, <clears throat> once they've learned how to use their body, and they have buy-in, because now they've gained confidence, right? It was simple in the beginning, they're learning how to do it, they've gained confidence, and then they have trust in themselves to move faster, because there's no more question marks in their mind. So now they can naturally start to explore with this whole idea of speed slash explosiveness. Um, once they're doing things with speed, this is going to provide enormous confidence in their training, uh, which is going to be a big motivator because, they, man, they're going to 
they're going to leave feeling, man, I did it. I did it fast. I did it smooth. Uh, it was clean. I did it without any hiccups. Um, and they're, they're seeing how they can use this in a self, real self-defense scenario. So one, they, they have achieved the goal. They're moving forward. They're gaining confidence and they're motivated to continue the training. They're motivated to want to learn more. They're motivated to do better, you know, and so forth. Um, third, regular. Um, this is kind of an interesting topic. You know, what is regular? What does regular mean? Is it once a week, twice a week, three times a week? One, it depends upon, I guess, the schedule and needs of the group who is taking the course or the individual taking the training. Um, for instance, I've done training with retired Secret Service personnel uh, here in Sarasota, Bradenton area. We have a lot of retired Secret Service personnel that come to the area, and once in a blue moon, I'll get a phone call, somebody has referred somebody, and they're just wanting to freshen their skills, uh, they're wanting to get a little bit more aggressive, they're wanting to learn something new. Um, so they're looking for some regular training, but it may be over a short period of time. Um, I also do a lot of work with retired law enforcement, um, police and, uh, sheriff's deputies, uh, that are currently on local forces, federal agencies, and a lot of these personnel have a limited time frame. So they may want to do a lot of training over two days. So it could be hours and hours over two days. So one, it's kind of the training is going to be based upon the audience and the participant. Uh, it's going to be based upon their needs. What do you all need? What are you looking for? What's going on? So they may say, we want um, stuff, training that's all going to be done for an attacker that's within an arm's length away. Not an attacker approaching us, not an attacker that's six feet away, but someone who's actually touched us and they're that close. So this totally changed the whole dynamic of the training for that individual uh, or that group. Um, others may want training on just apprehension and subduing an opponent, and that's it. They, they're looking at just how to restrain an attacker, an opponent. Total different dynamic. Um, uh, let's see, high school kids, total different dynamic. Their needs are different. Um, so one is going to be based upon the wants and needs of the participants and their time frame. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, you're not, people use the word muscle memory. I mean, uh, you know, muscles don't really have a memory. It's the nervous system. So it's the brain and nervous system that you're actually training uh, to react, not the muscles. Um, so, you know, you're going to have to have time to plant a seed in the brain, practice what has been planted over and over and over, and then doing drills so that they can regurgitate the information uh, without having to put too much thought in it. You know, it must be, they must be able to respond quickly and smooth to a certain extent. And that would indicate that they've learned the material. So regular is kind of an elusive term, but yet it does have to be regular um, 
because someone coming in once a week for three weeks, uh, you, you know, that may help them to a certain extent, but I don't think it's going to have a long lasting effect. Um, but, you know, you have to do what you can do. Um, but once again, it goes back to the group taking the class um, and what their needs are and what their schedule is like. Next, um, the fourth one is uh, a very interesting topic, challenging. And I think this is probably extremely key um, for two reasons. One, um, just on a couple notes uh, here related to this topic, um, it has to be challenging so that people, I think in the beginning that taking the course, they realize what a struggle really is like. So a lot of times I will do, especially if the group of people who have never done a self-defense course, they have never taken martial arts, they are not in the law enforcement community, they are not a firefighter, uh, you know, they're, they're totally not in these groups. Um, I will bring in um, people that I have trained or that I'm training currently who are extremely large, uh, very strong, very powerful, and I will just simply have them hold participant A like in a bear hug, and I will give the participant 30 seconds to squirm and try to get away. Um, or I will have the person I brought in to sit on top of someone like in a full mount. Uh, if you're familiar with judo, jiu-jitsu, or you know, MMA fighting, I will have them sit on someone and hold them down and give them 30 seconds to struggle to try to squirm and get out. Only because I want them to understand what they're presented with. Okay? Um, so one, I use challenge as a way to... Um, standardize the training and do a reality check for for example um i've had people come in you know i'm a black belt in this i'm a black belt in that um you know that means everything and it means nothing so um so i'll i will use rather large um students that i have to kind of standardize things challenge on the other hand can be used by the instructor along the course of the training to uh, as a way to challenge the participant to challenge their skills that they're learning so that one the reality check is still there but also to help the participant gain confidence because as they see that their skills actually work uh, for a I don't know let's say for a a, a, a front choke pushing someone up against a wall and they see that they can get out of that encounter and run away or they can get out of that counter and throw the attacker to the ground with some sort of a takedown and then go in and finish off the person. Um, as they see themselves meeting these skills and achieving these skills, they're going to gain confidence, but they never would have gained confidence if they are not challenged. So, Using challenge along the way is extremely beneficial for the participant um, as a way to test uh, their skills and a way for them to gain confidence. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, you can't just roll out skills 
blocks, counters, strikes, chokes, arm bars, guillotines, knee locks, and all this stuff if someone's not really challenged. Um, you know, there's controversy today and that the fact that the first UFC fight did not, you know, going back 20 some odd years ago, was not necessarily challenging. There was invitation only, and there were two groups of fighters that were not invited to the first UFC fight. You did not see NCAA All-American wrestlers invited to the very first UFC. They would have won, and that would have been the whole marketing scheme for BJJ. It would have went down the drain, and you did not see the 40-year-old who has... 25 plus years of old school karate experience from Okinawa. Uh, who, he was not invited to the first UFC either. Um, chances are um, he wouldn't have been beat either. So there again, there was no challenge necessarily to what was going to be done. Um, so you kind of set up a false premise. So we don't want to set people up for the false idea that they're going to walk out and they're going to be able to execute all these skills and not get into trouble. Um, So challenge has to be part of the training. Last, it has to be adaptable. Um, You know, it has to be multidimensional. I guess that's a better word. Uh, The participant must be able to think and adapt and apply the skills they've learned. Um, so if they're learning skills that are only, say, stand-up skills, that's not right. If they're getting a black belt in jiu-jitsu and they think they know self-defense, once again, it's very one-dimensional. If you have three attackers, your jiu-jitsu is not going to work on those three attackers. So you're training that you are going to take for self-defense or the teaching that you are going to teach to self de- for self-defense or for close quarters combat training, hand-to-hand combat training, it has to be adaptable. For instance, uh, here, there again, Sarasota and Bradenton, we see a lot of retired military moved to this area. You see a lot of retired special forces people moved to this area. And I've been in conversations with the people who we, who I guess went to Afghanistan in Iraq, you know, almost 20 years ago. And that was during the height of when uh, jujitsu was making its headway. And that was the thing. And uh, jujitsu kind of pushed out of a lot of the special forces training, the close quarters combat training, and jiu-jitsu took over. Well, a lot of these soldiers and Navy guys were coming back saying that it just doesn't work because, you know, I'm on the sand, I'm on the ground, I'm on the dirt doing jiu-jitsu, but here's another guy standing over me with his knife at me, his gun pointed at me, uh, or what have you. So there again, it has to be adaptable. Um, twice a week, I manage security for a bar. Um, and it's quite often I will, you know, I'm having to use verbal jujitsu to kind of de escalate things, calm things down. But um, I don't know, a few months ago, I had three, four guys, young guys, approach me and, uh, 
I, I, uh, at that time I was working the front door for whatever reason, and I did not let them in. I told them no. And they looked at me and said, you know, we can take you on. We're all going to take you on. We're going to put you down or whatever they said. Um, once again, I know the last thing I want to do is take one of those guys down and get in a tussle with him on the concrete sidewalk or roll off into the side street because his three to four friends are going to be left standing. So, I mean, I'm just kind of talking slowly so you can imagine. Um, it's, you know, it's at nighttime, 11 o'clock at night, maybe midnight. It's dark. You have street lights out. Uh, there's music playing. Um, so right away, in a nanosecond, I'm going through my Rolodex. And so, you know, I, I right away know what I do not want to have happen. So the training that you're going to be taking or maybe you're going to enroll your children in this training. You're going to enroll your employees in this training. Maybe you're a real estate agent. Um, you want to make sure that it's multidimensional and it's not just one-sided. It's not just from one martial art perspective. Um, because you want to be able to react in a multi-dimensional fashion to person A, person B, person C, what have you. Um, so, guys, there again, we've covered here just in a few minutes the five principles that I think should be part of every self-defense course, personal safety course, close quarters combat course, hand-to-hand -hand combat training course. Um, the way it's taught, one, is dependent upon the subject, uh, you know, who the participants are, you know, what are their aggression levels like? You know, is it police officers versus military? Totally two different outcomes that are desired. Police officers are trained to apprehend and restrain. Military, they're not. Real estate agents, maybe it's your real estate company. Their employees are just wanting to learn how to protect themselves while they're out showing property. Uh, so who are your participants? and what are their goals and what is their time frame like those will dictate how you set the class up how you offer the class the hours that are offered and so forth but uh, check back in with me for my next uh, podcast this is the first uh, we will be putting up one once a week Thank you very much. And Ayers Academy website is ayersacademy.com. And you can find my email address on there as well, jr at ayersacademy.com. Thank you.